All right. Oh, you're so kind. Yeah, it's, I don't know why John picked on me wanting to stand next to me. That's not impressive to be taller than me. Ah, but in that photo, it didn't look like he was. But anyway, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, though, in our social media world, like that's inspired by Jimmy Kimmel's uh, mean tweets, which are far cruder uh, than what some of our staff wrote for us. But I, and I don't necessarily recommend Googling it, but I will say that it is fascinating how mean people are online. And literally, there's like zero filter anymore in the comments, or maybe you've lost friends on Facebook in the last year. It's just interesting how with social media, there's just no filter anymore. And the other thing that social media tends to do is it almost perpetuates this need to impress other people, to please people, almost like we have an image that we have to keep out in front of us. Now, there's some good things that could happen through social media. You can keep up with some folks. You can uh, know more about what's happening in the lives of your friends and family. You can even be a positive influence in the lives of other people. But it does feed this need somehow that we have. It's almost addictive to, to please other people. It's like this mirror, mirror on my Facebook wall. Who's the fairest, happiest, hottest, most interesting, most like of them all? It's this game we play. There's actually a study done about Facebook that said the more time you spend on Facebook, there's a direct correlation, an increase in the tendency to think that others lead better lives and are happier and that life is not fair. Now, to make matters worse, there's not only fans online or critics online, but there's fans and critics in our heads. Some of us have thoughts that come crashing into our minds to distract us, to even destroy us. There are thoughts planted there by people in our lives that may be long gone. Maybe even people you love that didn't even have malicious intent, but we have thoughts in our head that tend to move us to want to please people, to give power to other people, giving their opinion more precedence and priority than anything else. There's this old saying that says, we spend money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't even like. And that's the problem with pleasing people. And you may be thinking, oh, well, I have that problem. That's not one of my issues. I have other issues, but that's not my issue. Let me just do a quick diagnostic. Just see if any of these might be a yes for you. Do you find yourself doing things to impress others? If you achieved all your goals but nobody knew, how would you feel? Do you badly need people's positive feedback to feel good? Are you critical of others? Do you become angry or even depressed when someone points out a mistake or criticizes you? Do you find yourself always trying to figure out what people think? Do you hide your beliefs for fear of people's rejection? See, if we're honest, each of us has a tendency towards pleasing people to some degree. Now we're in part two of this series, how to get killed in six days. We're looking at the last six days between Jesus coming in triumphantly on what's called Palm Sunday, which is next Sunday, to the crucifixion on the cross. And in those six days, we see this tremendous change in the crowd's response to Jesus. And in essence, what we're looking at is in what ways do we need to die 
What things in our life do we need to kill so that we could truly live the life that God has always intended for us? Now, the graphic for this series, our, our marketing team was inspired by Kill Bill. And up at our North Campus, they had a banner on the road that was stolen. So that's, I guess, a good sign if your church banner is being stolen. Now, what surprised us was that Bannockburn Baptist stole it. We couldn't understand. Just a joke. We were good friends with Bannockburn. We were neighbors for years. But it really was stolen. There is this sense that, that, that death, that something being killed, it fascinates us. But Jesus, when he was headed to the cross, created a moment where people had to decide, is he the Messiah? Is he worth following? Because if I follow him, I might lose my life too. See, here's the thing. Once you know that you're in good standing, have a right relationship with the creator of the universe, you realize that nothing can change that because of what he's done for us on the cross. We're free. We're valued and loved and safe with the one whose opinion is the only one that matters. So we can die trying to prove ourselves to others. We don't even have to do that. But to live in that freedom, we have to kill the things that get in the way of God's life flowing through us. And people-pleasing is one of those things we have to put to death. Just to remind you of the context in this moment, Jesus has given new life to Lazarus, who had died. And because of that, Mary was so inspired that she anointed Jesus' feet, as we looked at last week. But it was also the same moment where Judas realized that Jesus was not moving fast enough to become that political Messiah that he wanted him to do. It was his greed for power, his greed for perhaps even money that caused him to betray, that led him to betray Jesus. And it was also in that time that some of the religious leaders began to plot against Jesus. See, Jesus was no longer just a good teacher, not just doing some interesting or even remarkable miracles of giving sight and giving hearing and, and helping people walk. Now he was bringing people who were dead back to life. And as Lazarus walked around, people saw him and started to wonder, is Jesus maybe this Messiah, the Son of God? And so to continue the story, rather than reading from John chapter 12, we are going to watch a film from the Gospel of John of this moment from the Palm Sunday leading towards the cross. Let's watch together. Some Greeks were among those who had gone to Jerusalem to worship during the festival. They went to Philip, he was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said, Sir, we want to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. And the two of them went and told Jesus. receive great glory. I'm telling you the truth. A grain of wheat remains no more than a single grain, unless it is dropped into the ground and dies. 
If it does die, then it produces many grains. Those who love their own life will lose it. Those who hate their own life in this world will keep it for life eternal. Whoever wants to serve me must follow me, so that my servant will be with me where I am, and my father will honor anyone who serves me. Shall I say, Father, do not let this hour come upon me. But that is why I came. So that I might go through this hour of suffering. Father, bring glory to your name. Then a voice spoke from heaven. I have brought glory to it, and I will do so again. The crowd standing there heard the voice, and some of them said it was thunder, while others said an angel spoke to him. It is not for my sake that this voice spoke, but for yours. Now is the time for this world to be judged. Now the ruler of this world will be overthrown. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to me. Even then, many of the Jewish authorities believed in Jesus, but because of the Pharisees, they did not talk about it openly so as not to be expelled from the synagogue. They loved human approval rather than the approval of God. Jesus said in a loud voice, Whoever believes in me believes not only in me, but also in him who sent me. Whoever sees me sees also him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that everyone who believes in me should not remain in the darkness. If people hear my message and do not obey it, I will not judge them. I came not to judge the world, but to save it. Those who reject me and do not accept my message have one who will judge them. The words I have spoken will be their judge on the last day. This is true, because I have not spoken on my own authority. But the Father who sent me has commanded me what I must say and speak. And I know that his command brings eternal life. What I say then is what the Father has told me to say. There was a scene that we didn't show where Jesus comes to the temple and and he clears out the temple. See, the temple was a place where many would come from far away. And, and it was a place where you could get into right relationship with God. And it wasn't just in the Jewish culture, but in cultures across the planet, there's this need for blood to be shed for forgiveness. And so once a year, for some, they would come all the way to the temple, some of them bringing a goat or a sheep that they were to have sacrificed on their behalf. In fact, 
the priest would take the blood from the goat or the sheep and take it to the inner holy of holies at the temple and they would pour it on the mercy seat of God. A tradition that went back 1,500 years to Moses. And as some of them would arrive at the temple, they were told by people there to rip them off that that, their sheep or their goat was not good enough and they needed to buy this one. Or others who came without a sheep or a goat would be charged exorbitant prices for the right sheep or goat. And Jesus arrives and wants nothing to do with that. Nothing should get in the way of those seeking after my father. Nothing should uh, prohibit their connection to him. And so it was in that context that Jesus is leading and moving towards becoming the great sacrificial lamb whose blood was shed for all time and for all mankind. Here was a moment where one thing after another started to happen during that week where prophecies from hundreds of years before were being fulfilled. Even at the beginning when, when Jesus was coming down, riding on a donkey, it, it reminded the crowds of the prophecy from Zechariah 500 years before. Zechariah 9 says, Rejoice, O people of Zion, shout in triumph. O people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Your king will bring peace to the nations. His realm will stretch from sea to sea and from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. Because of the covenant I made with you, sealed with blood, I will free your prisoners from death in a waterless dungeon. The crowds hail Jesus as the king, as the Messiah. They couldn't wait to be freed, and yet they didn't read all the prophecies. They just were selective with the parts that they liked. They loved the idea of the Messiah coming and and becoming the king, but they missed the prophecies that were very clearly pointing that this Messiah would actually die. He wasn't coming to overthrow a government. He was coming to overthrow a worldwide system. He wasn't going to change their circumstances in the moment. He was coming to, that they might be saved for all eternity. And as Jesus gets closer to the city at the Mount of Olives, he steps off of the donkey And he weeps for the city of Jerusalem. Listen to his words in Luke 19. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Jesus wept because his city, Jerusalem, rejected him. There were some that were excited, but as we'll see next week, that many of them turned on Jesus, but he didn't meet their expectations. But within a generation of that moment when Jesus prophesied that Jerusalem was on the edge of destruction in the year 70 AD, Roman general Titus destroyed Jerusalem and he destroyed the temple, a temple that has not stood ever since. In fact, it's in that place where the Dome of the Rock was built. This is real history foretold that we might believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And what's remarkable is within a generation, that tradition for 1,500 years ended. There is no longer the 
the sacrificial lamb. Jesus is now that sacrifice for all mankind. See, God is inviting us to trust him, to care more about his opinion than the opinion of others. Jesus was the final Passover lamb who would die for the sins of all people. That if we want forgiveness, if we want new life, if we want redemption, all we must do is ask. All we must do is acknowledge that we need what he did on the cross to count for us. And you know, the religious leaders were plotting against Jesus because of their mixed motives. They had power, they had prestige. People had to go through them to get to God. And yet, there were many religious leaders who did believe Jesus was the Messiah. Listening again to John 12, even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. Then Jesus cried out, whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. See, Jesus came to demonstrate the full extent of God's love for humanity, his full extent of his love for you, willingly giving his life, shedding his blood, taking on himself a punishment that he did not deserve. See, you and I can be made right with God by faith. I heard this week someone describe the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is sight. See, you and I, we, some of us, we, we want to believe, but we need more proof. I just finished reading a biography of a secular Jewish novelist named Andrew Claven, and he came to faith at the age of 50. And he said that in terms of faith, this idea of if you believe, the evidence is all around you. But if you refuse to believe, no evidence will ever be enough. See, do you want to believe? Do you want faith? Because faith is a gift that God can give us. When you seek after him, he will reveal himself. But see, in that seen the thunder roared and some were like oh that's just thunder but others heard the voice of god are you inclined to see the, the miraculous are you inclined to see the spiritual are you in more of a position where if it's not proven right in front of you or if the people around you don't believe that you don't believe either See, we're so more susceptible to people's opinions than we would probably want to admit. I mean, even growing up, I'm sure you could think of examples, as I can, of times where I did stupid things just because everybody else was doing it. When you surround yourself with stupid people, you do stupid things. We just become products of our environment. When I was in college, I had these great guys. We lived together all uh, the last three years, all four of us eventually became pastors. And I'm about to tell you a story where if you have any respect for me at all, you will lose it. 
when I was there, we had this one summer where Tony lived with us, and, and when Tony would come back to get his mail, we decided to greet him with a water balloon. It was awesome. He knocked at the door, we opened the door, chunked a water balloon, gave him his mail. We thought it was funny. Well, the next time he came with his mail, he brought his new roommates and water guns. Things just went up a notch. And the water balloons and water gun battle turned into an epic plastic bags filled with water battle. Which when plastic bag filled with water hits you in your apartment and you live on the second floor above the office, it does not go well with the landlord. And it just kept getting more and more ridiculous and we couldn't seem to stop each other. And then I had an idea. Have you ever seen what's inside a vacuum cleaner bag? Yeah, it's, it's not good. And that's what made it perfect. <laughs> you see, we had some mail for Tony, and we decided to take it to him. And so we knocked on the door, and Pete gives him a big bear hug, holding Tony. Craig throws water on Tony right as I grab the, the vacuum cleaner bag, and poof, it's stuck to his face. Someone in his mouth and his ears. Poor Pete got some of the shrapnel. It was a horrible, horrible moment. And it was awesome. <laughs> and I thought that was the end of our pranks. Like, this was it, right? You can't do anything worse than that. Until that one Saturday morning, I woke up and I just smelled the most rank smell I've ever smelled in my life. And I couldn't figure out where it was coming from. And I went out to the front porch and opened the front porch. And I'll never forget, right there on our porch swing, a skunk dead with rigor mortis. Tony decided that this dead skunk on the side of the road didn't belong there, but on our front porch. And at the time that dead animals started to get involved, that's when we finally drew the line. That was enough. Now, I'm sure you've done some things you look back on with regret, some stupid things that you got caught up in with stupid people. And these are just silly examples but if we were to take the time, I'm certain that you have stories, I have stories where we've done things that were actually painful and even hurtful just to please the people around us. How many tragedies are we aware of because someone was caught up in trying to please the wrong kind of people? See, pleasing people does not have to be your go-to move learning to entrust your very life and your actions to the one whose opinion matters the most brings life. But instead, we end up doing immoral, unethical things that hurt us and hurt others. We end up lying to cover our image. We end up comparing and becoming proud or resentful. We get trapped in envy or arrogance, anxiety and insecurity, never free just to be ourselves. Are you ready to die to that today? Do you want life, the life that only God can bring? It comes when we're willing to die to ourselves, to die to pleasing people. And there's this remarkable moment where the Greeks show up at the temple. And there was a division at the temple that the Greeks weren't allowed to get as close as the very religious Jews and throughout Jesus' ministry, he kept saying over and over, my time has not yet come. He would say it at the oddest times. In fact, sometimes he would even tell the disciples, don't tell other people who I am. 
My time has not yet come. And then all of a sudden, it was as if the sign had come by the Greeks' arrival that this was the Passover. That's why Jesus was so troubled when these guys showed up. It wasn't because they were wearing togas, although that is troubling. His heart was troubled because all of a sudden, the Greeks were beginning to hear that he was the Messiah. Word had traveled beyond the religious Jews that the Messiah has come. And that was the sign that now was the time to die. Now, although Jesus knew that was for which he came and he was willing to give his life, he was still fully human. And the realization that now was the time that he would give his life led him to say these words. John 12, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He continues with verse 24, for very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. He gives us this beautiful picture that he was willingly going to die. But in dying, he will bring life to everyone. Are you ready to die to the selfish desires that are actually destroying you and destroying others? Are you ready to die to pleasing people who are never quite satisfied so that you can truly live? See, Jesus says that to die is actually what brings life. See, there is no resurrection without the crucifixion. And he gives this example of a seed Say I was holding a, a kernel of corn. What's interesting about planting, and, and many of us aren't farmers or have that experience, but you probably realize it's a, it's a counterintuitive thing, but you take a seed and you actually bury it as if it's dead. You bury it. And it comes to life in a whole new form. And in fact, if a kernel of seed, a kernel of corn were to die, if it were to be buried, it actually can grow into an entire stock. One kernel. I have a picture of a stalk in case you're very unfamiliar with farming. But here's what's really remarkable. If you were to take every one of those kernels and plant it and do it again and again for six years, do you know we'd have enough corn that it would outnumber the people on our planet as this field of corn shows? See, what Jesus is basically saying, I'm going to die, and because of my death, you can have life. In fact, I'm not going to stay dead. I'm coming back to life. But if you follow me, then you are to die daily. And as we die, we bring life. See, dying to self will be what shows your family members, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, there's something different about you. See, some of us have been victims of cultural Christianity, people who claim a faith that's not been demonstrated by how they live their life, and that's because they're not dying to self. 
We're invited to follow Jesus and come and die to everything that actually kills us. There's this interesting moment where he actually talks about hating our life. And Jesus often taught with, with shock value to make his point. This is a relative hate. He's not saying hate people. He's saying to hate, or, or he's not saying hate people, not saying hate creation. He's saying hate living to please people. He's saying hate living to prove yourself to people. Hate living to get people to notice you because as long as you love that, you'll hate God when he gets in the way of your people-pleasing goals. You and I can quit the world's game and be free. Stop being hooked by the nose and dragged into darkness. John 12, 26 says it like this, whoever serves me must follow me and where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. See, we want forgiveness, we want heaven, but we don't want to die to self. But that's the invitation. There's no resurrection without crucifixion. It's true not only in Jesus' life, but in ours as well. Luke 9 says it like this. Jesus said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to, lose, to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. I wonder if you're ready to die to the things that destroy us. Will you die daily to what people think and live in his new life? A life where we pray, God, I'm living to please you only, not people. What do you need to nail to the cross this Easter season? What people-pleasing patterns need to be killed so that you won't kill God when he tries to guide you? What are you doing that you know is not God's will, but you're doing it to please a person or other people? Maybe you've been ashamed to identify with Jesus. Do you know that God puts you intentionally right where you are, where you work, where you live, in the family from which you've come? Because he loves them so much, he's placed you there. And in the most incredibly um, organic way, you and I can represent God. When they see a change in our life, we can point towards Jesus. It's not putting a bumper sticker on our forehead. It's not something that we live up to some sort of Ned Flanders stereotype. We can represent Jesus in a way that is consistent with who we are and in a way that intrigues and compels them. You know, it's interesting, living in Austin, right? Only 13% of people in Austin go to church, even less when it rains. <laughs> you are the brave and the bold, right? But do you know that if you were to right now begin praying about who you might invite to Easter, you would be surprised at how many of your coworkers, how many of your neighbors would be open to that sort of invitation. In fact, on your seats, there are cards about our series that starts on Easter. It's called Why God, and we have many more at the Connect Spot, but I invite you to at least take that one. Take it with you and begin praying now. Who should I give this to? It was we begin a series tackling the big questions. Why God? 
Why Jesus? Why suffering? Why faith? And on one of those days, we have an astrophysicist coming because we want to dispel this notion that you have to check your brain in the do- at the door when you come to church, that you can believe in God and not be scared of science. So I want to invite you even now to begin thinking on that Easter Sunday, who are some of the friends and family you want to invite to be with you on that day? Whether it's at our 8 a.m. service or 9.30 or 11 or 6 o'clock. Don't be afraid to step out. Don't worry about pleasing people. Be more concerned with pleasing God. The world does not need more people pleasers. The world is desperate for more people who seek to please God. And when we do, the scriptures tell us, my father will honor the one who serves me. So I want to invite you to do something a little bit different. We're going to sing a song. And for some of you, you won't, this song won't be familiar. But the, the lyrics, I hope, will be exactly how you feel. A willingness to surrender your heart, surrender your life to God. For others of you, this song might literally reconnect you with a moment where you've never felt closer to God than in those days. For others, I'll be honest, it might bring you back to cultural Christianity and might throw you off just a bit. But don't let it, let the lyrics of these songs become your prayer. In fact, I wanna invite you, if you would, just stand with us and let's sing this as our prayer together.